And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to our show today. Hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode where we took a look at the Showa uh, sci-fi epic Atragon. Very uh, unusual film given its origins and the adaptation that it received. Today we are shifting gears a little bit. We are taking a look at a comic book series. We are going to the publisher IDW to take a look at the miniseries Godzilla Oblivion. Uh, very, uh, again, kind of keeping with the science fiction sort of aspect from the previous episode, so we got some continuity there. But before we get to that, we do have a good bit of news, so let's jump right into it. In MonsterVerse news, and in comic book news, I guess, Legendary Comics has launched the Kickstarter campaign for the Godzilla X Kong The New Empire Prologue comic, which is entitled Godzilla X Kong The Hunted. The Hunted is a Kickstarter exclusive hardcover comic, which will not be offered at retail, with art by David Aha. The campaign synopsizes the series as, quote, A twisted Skull Island trophy hunter baits his trap and sets his sights on the biggest game of all deep within the hollow earth. Certainly an intriguing sounding premise. Now here's the thing though. This campaign is actually for not one, but two different hardcover comics. The second book is called Monsterverse Declassified, it is going to reveal information about what they say is, quote, four fan-favorite titans, Doug, Behemoth, and Tiamat, plus one to-be-revealed titan. Doug, of course, being the doggy lizard guy we saw briefly in Hollow Earth in Godzilla x Kong. Now, Declassified is also a Kickstarter exclusive and will not be offered at retail. So if these sound cool to you, head over to Kickstarter and back the campaign. In more MonsterVerse news, the full trailer for the Apple TV series Monarch Legacy of Monsters has debuted. The prestige series seems all sorts of mysterious and action-oriented, with several titans showing up in the trailer, including the Big G himself. Now, I am very curious about the mythology that this show will build, but the simple fact that we are getting a prestige format MonsterVerse show just has me absolutely tickled pink. Now, the series debuts November 17th, so if you don't already have Apple TV locked in, you may want to look into that, or at the very least, chat up your friends to see who does have access to the service, if you know what I mean. In even more MonsterVerse news, we have some information about the upcoming PC and console game, which was previously announced last year. Developed by Seven Levels, the new press release states that, quote, the events of the game will take place shortly after the aftermath from Godzilla vs. Kong. The player will have to survive in the desolation of a ruined city. For this, it will use, among other things, the colossal strength of the Titans. The title will combine the action, the, excuse me, the title will combine the genres of action, adventure, and platforming games, and the whole thing will be enriched with a realistic audio-visual setting. 
Now, pricing and release dates have not been announced at this time. Certainly seems like a novel approach to a monster game. I do wonder what they mean by using the strength of the Titans, but hopefully more will be revealed as we get closer to the release date of this game. Now, in more video game news, Daikaiju game Gigabash will be getting an Ultraman DLC pack in early November. Gigabash is described as a kaiju combat game, and I must admit, this one went right under my nose, because I had heard the name Gigabash, but did not know that it was an original giant monster property, which makes me feel all the more ridiculous, as they had already done a DLC crossover with Godzilla, meaning that Goji, Gigan, Mechagodzilla, and Destoroya are also available in the game. I will definitely be checking out Gigabash on my Switch, as well as the upcoming DLC, which as of this writing only seems to include the original Ultraman, but I imagine we will learn more as we get closer to the November 8th launch date. And finally, in home media news, The Great Yokai Wars Guardians is finally available to pre-order from SRS Cinema. The follow-up to The Great Yokai War can be pre-ordered on either Blu-ray or VHS, not uncommon for SRS Cinema, and as of this recording, still does come with a poster, again, as a lot of these SRS releases are known to do. Now, I have not watched any of the Yokai movies yet, the Showa ones or the modern one, but I'm eager to watch them in order to cover them here on the show, and will be very pleased to add this one to my collection, as well as to continue to support SRS Cinema's continued efforts to release oddball or otherwise obscure tokusatsu and daikaiju material. I think they've done a really good job with just getting these odd movies out there for consumption. The Great Yokai War Guardians is set for release sometime in January of 2024. So that's all the news I've got. If you've got any news that you think we uh, would like to hear about here on Earth Destruction Directive, why don't you send it to me, Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com, and I'll be sure to give you credit here on the show. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at Godzilla Oblivion right here on Earth Destruction Directive. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Godzilla Oblivion is a five-issue comic book miniseries from IDW Publishing, which ran originally from March 30th, 2016 through July 27th, 2016. The series was later collected, along with Godzilla Gangsters and Goliaths, which we covered back on episode 10, and Godzilla Cataclysm, which we covered on episode 51, in the Godzilla World of Monsters trade paperback. Our writer is Joshua Filikov, an Eisner Award-nominated comic scribe, who's probably best known for his work on the series Echoes from Top Cow over at Image, but also has credits for DC on the revamp of I, Vampire, and over at Marvel doing Ultimate FF, plus some work on Doctor Who here at IDW. 
Now, to Earth Destruction Directive listeners, he is also known as one of the writers of Pacific Rim Tales from the Drift, which we covered back in episode 62. The art is by Brian Chirilla, who is probably best known for his work on Hellboy over at Dark Horse, but who has also done work for DC on Sandman, The Books of Magic, and in a bit of a left turn, Plants vs. Zombies also for Dark Horse. Our colors are by Jay Photos, whom I know from his work on the series 68, but he's also done coloring work for Godzilla Rage Across Time, which is a series we will cover here uh, in the future, Winona Earp, and other series, as colorists often do work across many publishers and genres. Now, that is just a nature of being a colorist. Now, our synopsis today is adapted from Wikizilla and goes a little something like this. In the laboratory of Dr. Eli Talbert, his assistant Ridley informs him that the interdimensional portal they had been working on is finally completed. Just then, Talbert's employer, Ms. Yamada, enters the laboratory and tells Talbert to turn on the portal. Talbert warns Yamada that the portal is a completely untested technology that requires further testing, but she tells him that his only job was to build the portal, and that job is now completed. Talbert activates the portal, and Ms. Yamada and her bodyguards go through, with Talbert close behind. On the other side of the portal, they find themselves in the ruins of a city. As they wander through the ruins, the team is attacked by a very small Rodan, who kills the bodyguard with its uranium heat beam. The group suddenly hears a voice ordering them to return to a shelter as Kiru arrives and attacks the Rodan. As Kiru blasts the Rodan with a laser beam, several more Rodans descend and swarm the machine. The humans start to run away, but one Rodan catches up with them. Before the Rodan can carry off one of the bodyguards, it is blasted by a group of soldiers wielding laser rifles. The soldiers load Talbert, Yamada, and the bodyguards onto a truck and chastise them for wandering into the area most populated by giant monsters. Asking for more information as they are visitors to the city, the soldier explains that the giant monsters began appearing about ten years ago and terrorized the Earth, only for a much more powerful monster to appear and end their reign of terror, Godzilla. The soldier says that Godzilla keeps the other monsters in check and prevents them from growing to full size, that he and his men thus do whatever it takes to keep Godzilla happy. Talbert tells them to turn the truck around, and one of Ms. Yamada's men holds the soldiers at gunpoint. The truck drops them off and near the portal, but they are pursued by a huge three-headed dragon, which is called King Ghidorah by the soldiers. Talbert, Yamada, and her bodyguards go through the portal, but before it can close, King Ghidorah travels through it as well. Two weeks after King Ghidorah emerges from the lab in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the eastern U.S. has been completely devastated, and all efforts by the U.S. military, NATO, and the U.N. have failed. Talbert is in prison for his role in the events. A guard enters Talbert's cell and escorts him to an office, where Yamada is talking to an army general. The general informs the two of them that the government has deployed a desperate plan to stop King Ghidorah. The interdimensional portal has been rebuilt on a much larger scale, Talbert and Yamada are to be sent back into the alternate dimension to find something to stop King Ghidorah. At the new portal, Talbert tells Ridley, now leading the project, to close the portal if anything worse than King Ghidorah comes to comes through, excuse me, to which she readily agrees. The portal is activated and the team consisting of Talbert, Yamada, and their escorts, led by a soldier named Weinstein, go through. On the other side, they see Godzilla roaming the city. Talbert runs into the street right in front of an armored vehicle. Dreyer, the soldier Talbert and Yamada had met in this dimension before, exits and discusses the situation. Talbert asks to borrow some technology to stop King Ghidorah, but Dreyer says their technology was useless against King Ghidorah, and only Godzilla can stop him. 
Talbot and Yamada enter an armored vehicle and activate the siren, causing Godzilla to give chase. After dodging Godzilla's atomic breath, the vehicle passes through the portal. A few seconds later, Godzilla comes through the portal as well. Ridley asks what they will do now, and Yamada answers that they will make Godzilla fight King Ghidorah. Talbot remarks that he's got a bad feeling about this plan. Godzilla and King Ghidorah are battling in D.C. while Talbert, Ridley, Yamada, and Weinstein are observing from the laboratory. As Yamada and Weinstein discuss the ethics behind the portal Yamada's company constructed, Ridley informs Talbert of a new plan to combat the monsters, but says it's better if he doesn't know much about it. Back in D.C., the battle between Godzilla and King Ghidorah is back and forth, with both monsters gaining the upper hand. Seeing an opportunity, Weinstein contacts an aircraft carrier and recommends a nuclear strike against the monsters while they are over open ocean. Talbert expresses his doubt the plan will work and tells Ridley to prepare to activate her backup plan. The president approves the strike, and two fighter jets armed with nuclear missiles approach Godzilla and King Ghidorah and unleash their payload, causing both monsters to vanish in a nuclear explosion. As the smoke clears, however, the water stirs and Godzilla surfaces once again, seemingly unharmed, while King Ghidorah is nowhere to be seen. As Talbert and Weinstein panic to decide what measures to take next, Ridley dons a suit with motion controllers attached to it, and informs him about her backup plan. Ridley states she recovered metal from the robot Godzilla found in the other dimension, and replicated it to build an army of Mechagodzillas, as she has dubbed them. Weinstein protests the operation, but Talbert states there's no other option and tells Ridley to unleash her robots. As the Mechagodzillas fly out of a hangar, Talbert and Yamada watch on a computer screen. Both state they hope this works. As the fleet of MGs battle, fly into battle with Godzilla, Ridley tells Talbert there's a backup plan should the Mechagodzillas fail, King Ghidorah's carcass could be salvaged and cybernetically modified to make him into a weapon they could control. Believing it the best option left, Weinstein tells Ridley to go through with the plan and begins recruiting the military's help. While Godzilla battles the Mechagodzillas out at sea, Ridley and a team of divers sneak past him in a boat and dive to the seafloor where King Ghidorah's body lies. The divers place a giant balloon underneath the carcass and pump it with air, allowing it to float to the surface where helicopters airlift it away while Godzilla is still distracted. Back at the laboratory, Talbert receives word from Ridley that King Ghidorah's carcass has arrived and has begun conversion into Mecha King Ghidorah. Ridley activates Mecha King Ghidorah just as they hear Godzilla's roar as the monster arrives and tears open the wall of the facility. As the monster prepares to battle, Yamada sees a simple message on a computer screen transmitted from the other Earth, which reads, We're so sorry. The portal then opens, and through it emerge Rodan, uh, an adult Mothra, two larval Mothra, Biolanti, Anguirus, King Caesar, and Zilla. As the numerous monsters pass through the portal, Godzilla and Mecha King Ghidorah find themselves surrounded. As the monsters prepare to fight, Yamada asks Talbert about a backup backup plan they had previously discussed. Talbert begs Yamada not to initiate the plan and continue to fight back instead, but she insists the fight is over and humanity is out of options. Weinstein informs Talbert and Yamada that the order was given to unleash the United States' entire nuclear arsenal across the globe to fight the monsters. Yamada tells Weinstein this plan will, not, will kill them all, but Weinstein replies that some humans will survive, rather than none. Pouting Mecha King Ghidorah, Ridley fights off the other monsters. As she battles, Talbert contacts her about programming nanites for his and Yamada's backup backup plan. At the same time, Weinstein approaches Talbert and informs him that she will turn control of the system over to NATO. Talbert and Yamada tell Weinstein they have a better plan to save humanity and convince her to evacuate every city on Earth. Meanwhile, Godzilla is still under attack from the other monsters, and soon turns his attention back to Mecha King Ghidorah. 
Ridley tells Talbert that Mecha King Ghidorah will not be able to fight much longer, but Talbert pleads with her to distract the monsters for a little while longer while the plan is enacted. Yamada asks Weinstein to patch her through to NATO's comm line so she can send a message to the entire world. While monsters such as Biolanti, Zilla, King Caesar, and Batra wreak havoc across the globe, Yamada broadcasts a message accepting responsibility for the cataclysm that has fallen Earth. She states that soon the monsters will claim the entire planet as their own and wipe out humanity. Tells Talbert to activate the Nanite device. As the Nanites spread across the skies of Earth, Yamada continues her broadcast and tells all surviving humans that the Nanites will be opening portals to the other dimension, that their only hope of survival is to leave this Earth behind and enter the other. Following Yamada's speech, Ridley contacts Talbert and asks if the plan has worked, to which he replies, it will. Just then, Godzilla grabs Mecha King Ghidorah's mechanical head and tears it off, creating an electrical surge that kills Ridley. Yamada states that in order to prevent the monsters from following them to the other dimension, the portals will close once a kaiju approaches, meaning they can only save citizens who reach the portals before the monsters. As Yamada, Talbert, Weinstein, and numerous others approach the portals, Weinstein asks Talbert if his solution is simply running away. Talbert states there is no other option, and that Weinstein is free to stay if she wants. Weinstein complies with the plan and prepares to go through the portal. Before passing through, the humans realize someone needs to stay behind to permanently close the portals. Talbert states that he will do it since he considers the whole incident to be his fault. Yamada asks him if he is sure, to which he replies the other world was awful anyway. Yamada stays behind as well and watches Talbert pull the switch as Godzilla charges towards him. Godzilla fires his atomic breath at the portal while the other monsters look on, as portals across the globe close and seal the gateway between the two dimensions. So there is a lot to unpack here in these five issues, so let's go ahead and get right into the notes. Now the story relies on the old science fiction trope of the interdimensional portal, a wonderful cliche which has found its use in everything from sliders to Doctor Who to Stargate, and even to Godzilla in the film Godzilla x Megaguirus, which we covered way back in episode 4, in which case an artificial black hole ends up releasing a swarm of giant insects on our world. The portal here connects our world with this other, monster-ravaged world, and from there seems like things are chucked through it back and forth. I applaud Filikov for using his story device as much as he does, but the other world has little development or even character other than, you know, quote, that place where the monsters come from. Uh, bringing monsters to our world via the portal is a nice trick, but I do still find myself wondering how they showed up on the other world in the first place. Was there another portal on some different third world that sent the monsters there before? Speculation is all we have. Now, the characters do not fare particularly well in the span of the series. Things start out well enough, with Talbert and Yamada immediately being at odds with each other. But there's not much in the way of growth throughout the series. Characters like Ridley and Weinstein serve their purpose, but don't leave much of an impression on the reader. The monster characters do not fare much better. The primary trait of Toho monsters, to me, is that they are in fact characters in their stories, not just generic beasties for the humans to fight or from whom to flee. Sadly, that is not the case here, as other than the extended fight scene between Godzilla and King Ghidra in issue 2, the monsters are also not memorable for their actions, nor particularly characterful either. Furthermore, the choice to have multiples of each monster, including a swarm of Rodans in issue 1, is one that does not really work for me, ultimately turned me off while I was reading. The same goes for the varying sizes of the monsters, although, to be fair, the fleet of small Kirus was a very neat image. Now, ultimately, the biggest fault I have with the series 
is that the events do not seem to have any weight. Major twists happen, one right on top of the other, and by the end, things are happening so fast, they have no gravitas or meaning. It's a comic book equivalent of a little kid telling you a story. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. The fleet of Kiru are built so fast that it strains credibility. Yes, I understand that I am saying that, in a story involving giant monsters jumping planets via an interdimensional portal. It gets even more ridiculous with Mecha King Ghidorah being salvaged, brought to the lab, rebuilt, and launched in the time it takes Godzilla to walk to the lab. I mean, at most, that's a couple hours. At that point, we've jumped from suspect to simply nonsensical. And perhaps the point, had this been a wild and woolly series filled with bombastic action, sort of like a Devil Dinosaur meets Godzilla Final Wars, I could buy that time distortion. Here, though, in this case, it just took me out of the story and made it less enjoyable. Now, the artwork by Chirillo and Photos is unusual for a Godzilla comic, although not bad in and of itself. I'm usually pleased when IDW gets these offbeat art teams to work in their monster comics, since I think there should be room for all sorts of artistic styles to tell comic stories, and not just a single house style, for lack of a better term, for a property like Godzilla. The characters are easily recognized and consistently drawn. The monsters themselves are well rendered, even if some of the narrative choices around the art was not to my liking. Now, of the covers I have for the series, two are by Chirilla. Issue 3, depicting an artistic take on King Ghidorah's three heads as a biohazard warning symbol, and Issue 4, showing Godzilla's eyes and snout peeking out of a red ocean overlooking a small boat. Both are very striking designs, very pleasing to the eye. The other three covers I have are by James Stokoe, who has done lots of Godzilla work for IDW, but is best known to me for his superlative Half-Century War miniseries, which we covered back in episode 21. His covers leap off the page, with number 5 being my favorite, Godzilla smashing through a building, heading directly at the reader, his eyes white, smoke pouring from his mouth as he spools up a blast of atomic breath. Truly a top-notch cover. I do want to give the series some credit, in that it does create several very cool moments, which are worth mentioning. The appearance of King Ghidorah at the end of issue 1 is suitably impressive. The image of him entering through the portal to the, quote, real world is a great cliffhanger. Issue 2 features a two-page spread of Goji firing his atomic breath at our team as they flee in a truck, with a wonderful use of scale to show how massive Godzilla truly is, and long-time readers know I am a sucker for scale in comic book art like that. And the atomic bomb attack in issue 3 is very sharp, with the mid-air explosion looking like a miniature sun, with the tiny forms of Goji and King Ghidorah at the center. Overall, Godzilla Oblivion is not one of the better Godzilla miniseries which IDW has published. The story concept is strong, but the execution does not live up to that premise, with too much happening too fast, straining believability. Neither the humans nor the monsters are particularly interesting in the grand scheme of the story, mostly being there to drive the plot, which happens in overdrive. The art, though admittedly not to everyone's taste, works well for the story, but I am almost always a story-first sort of comic book reader, so it only goes so far with me. So while I will always give IDW's Godzilla comics a try, this one is not one I can see myself revisiting anytime soon. But I always say, check things out for yourself and form your own opinions. 
So if you would like to read Godzilla Oblivion, you do have a few choices. You can pick up the aforementioned Godzilla World of Monsters trade paperback, again, along with Godzilla Gangsters and Goliath and Cataclysm in that same package. You can also get a digital trade of just Oblivion directly from IDW's website, and that trade itself is available digitally on the free library app Hoopla, so it is out there for your consumption. So now I throw it to you, the listeners. What do you think? Have you read Godzilla Oblivion? Are you a fan of it? Do you like uh, stories involving alternate worlds and interdimensional portals? Did the art work for you, or did you prefer something a little more traditional with your art here? Write me in. Let me know. I'd love to talk about it here on the show, or at DestructionDirective at Yahoo.com. You can also leave a comment on the Facebook, or reach out to me on Twitter or YouTube, and we'll talk about it here. All right, folks, I'm going to take a quick break, and we will be right back to do listener feedback and close out the show here on Earth Destruction Directive. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. All right, folks, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. And now it's time for a little bit of... Listener feedback, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also get in touch with me on Facebook, Twitter, um, YouTube, excuse me, or on the Discord, all of which you can find the information in the outro to the show and the show notes. So let's get into our email. Our email comes from Billy D. Bill Dunleavy from the Magazines and Monsters blog, a collaborator of mine on several occasions. And Billy writes, Gamera app, talking about Gamera the Brave. Hey dude, I'll get this out of the way right now. I don't like Gamera. Okay, moving on. Well, that kind of says it all, doesn't it? Uh, I will say this, Billy, you know, Gamera is, especially the show of films, it is kind of an acquired taste, right? Because they very much are children's films, uh, especially the ones from, uh, you know, I'd say from Guren on especially, but even Gauss and the original uh, have their children's film uh, aspects. Um, Burrigan, Bur- not so much. War of the Monsters, not so much. You know that that one's a little bit trying to be more like the the Toho, film, Toho films of the era. But in any event, I get that, um, and I get this that that it is kind of a a uh, a big hurdle for some folks. The Showa Gamera's, but you know what, Gamera the Brave 
is takes enough of that that it still, I think, captures the flavor, but does it in a different way. So, you know what? Maybe give it a shot. I think you might be surprised. And of course, the Heisei trilogy is that, that, that's been, that's been like the, the, I've heard that in the fandom. So, oh, it's Gamera for people that don't like Gamera, right? Uh, even though, again, it does kind of touch on some similar stuff about Gamera's connection with children and all that. Uh, so, you know what? I would say, even if you're not a Gamera fan, maybe give the Heisei films a try. You know, uh, both the trilogy and the Gamma the Brave uh, on their own, I, I think, can have a lot of value, even if you're not normally a Gamma fan. Uh, now, that said, Billy continues, I've never seen Atragon, but really want to. I'll try to get a watch in before your episode drops. Enjoying the show, as always, Billy D. Uh, Billy, third stuff, thank you very much for writing. Always glad to hear from you. And I, I'd love to hear what you think about Atragon. That's a movie I think would be definitely up your alley knowing what I know of your interests, um, also the era, right? And the, the science fiction aspects, I think you'd enjoy it. And it certainly has a weird aspect to it, right? There's the Mu empire and drag and monster gods and, you know, world war two, uh, guys still fighting, you know, 20 years after the fact. So, uh, I'd love to hear what you thought about Atragon. So why don't you write in and let me know from that. And, uh, we'll talk about that here. Okay. So I do got to say this folks is that that is actually the last email I have in the email sack. So if you want to get on touch with me, you want to hear your name on a podcast, this is a great opportunity, Directive at yahoo.com, and we'll, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about here on the show, as long as it's related to giant monsters. It doesn't have to be about a recent episode or an upcoming episode. If there's something that you want to freestyle about, uh, write me in, and we'll, we'll talk about it here. So social media likes, shares... Uh, reposts is what we're supposed to call them now on Twitter slash X uh, for the last episode, which was the Atragon episode, came from the Two True Freaks podcast network. Derek, Derek WC from the Fan Holes, along with the History of Comics on Film, Zilla, Toku Society, Crystal Lady Jessica, Jimmy from NASA, and Nathan Marchand. Together they are the Monster Island Film Vault, the Power Trip podcast, the Henshin Men Podcast, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, my brother, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, my good friend, Adam Tebow, Gene Gene, the Podcasting Machine, Hendrix, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Tim Elliott, Ian and Cynthia Welch, Brian Severe, the aforementioned Billy D of the Magazine and Monsters Podcast, and John Kilgallen. Thank you very much everyone for your social media um, love. I say this every time, but you know, a podcast is in fact a labor of love and anything you can do to any podcast you want just to help get the word out for them is much appreciated. It, it really, I'm, I'm never going to get to a point where I'm going to take any bit of social media love like that for granted. It is all of it is appreciated. Thank you very much. I'd also like to take this opportunity to say that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you want to be part of this show, uh, you are free to do so and interact with the show in any way that makes you feel comfortable. Uh, this is a show that uh, we, we welcome all points of view when it comes to giant monsters. If you're a, a veteran of the genre, if you're just getting started, if maybe you, you know, maybe you came in because, hey, you really like that Gigabash game and you want to learn more about these uh, monsters and characters that are in that DLC, that is perfectly acceptable. And, uh, you know, again, we're not, we're not here to gatekeep. We're not here to win the fandom. We're here to celebrate uh, giant monsters because that's what makes me happy. So all are welcome. All right, so now we come to the point where another episode is just about done, so we must look forward. And what is coming next time for next month? Well, we are switching from the printed page to the small screen. And if we're talking to small screen, you know that probably means 
Ultraman. And you would be right. We're taking a look at the next two episodes of the original Ultraman as we are getting really close to finishing up this series. So it's episodes 36 and 37, which features the monsters Zaragas and Geronimon. And those that have watched the series know that episode with Geronimon might have a few other surprises in it as well. So we are, I said, we're right on the cusp here. Uh, 38 and 39 are the last two episodes of the series. So we'll have one more episode covering the original Ultraman after next month, but we got to get to next month first. So it's been a while since I've seen these two episodes. Very excited to revisit them. I remember, I remember both of them pretty well. Uh, I remember some of the details a bit more of the Geronimon episode than I do the Zaragas, but I do remember the the general premise of the Zaragas episode. It's another um, very creative episode. So looking forward to watching those and uh, and uh, talking about them here on the show. All right, folks, just a reminder, of course, you can always subscribe to the show at twotruefreaks.com. You can find me wherever your favorite podcatcher is. You can find Earth Destruction Directive on Facebook. Just search for me, Luke EDD. You can also find me on Twitter slash X with the handle at El Jacone. You can find us on YouTube. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. And as part of the Two True Freaks Discord channel, Discord server, there is an Earth Destruction Directive channel that you can get to so you can reach out to the rest of the community there. All right, folks, that's all I've got. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. Hope you enjoyed our discussion about Godzilla Oblivion, and hope you'll come back and join us again next time when we talk about the next two episodes of the original Ultraman. So until that time, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network available at two truefreaks.com this is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of japanese giant monsters all movies tv shows comic books characters and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied if you would like to send an email to the show you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name EDD. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one.